Welcome to Everyday Superhumans, the podcast where we interview ordinary people who've done extraordinary things. I'm your host, Kyle. And I'm Caroline. And today marks our first episode and our first guest, Jonathan Foray. Woo! This guy was awesome. Like, holy crap, you had fun interviewing him, didn't you? I did, and yeah. he has amazing hair. <laughs> yeah, for sure that. It's it's beautiful hair, ladies. I think he's single. You might want to check with him first. Oh, he is. <laughs> All right. But down but, to really who he actually is. Other than his superhuman beautifulness. <laughs> it It's great. He is the executive director of South Louisiana's Wetlands Discovery Center, which we got to tour. Mm -hmm. And it's a nonprofit dedicated to bringing awareness to Louisiana's disappearing coast, which is a major problem, and they're tackling it head on. Mm -hmm. They're trying to bring awareness to everybody around them, uh, especially in South Louisiana, who are actually affected by this. It's a huge issue that he has dedicated most of his time to. But before all this, he was a Peace Corps volunteer for two years in the Kingdom of Tonga. And he's just all around badass humanitarian. Mm -hmm. You'll see him whenever the podcast happens, but he was spectacular. But quick, quick introduction of who we are. I'm, I'm Kyle. I'm a mechanical engineer by day and a public speaker by hobby. This is uh, kind of like a joint venture between me and my co-host Caroline, who is a I'm a Caroline, that's <laughs> right, and I also am known as Care Bear, Carrie, Carol, the list goes on and on, but I'm a journalist, and fun fact, I did get a film degree, and yes, I do have a full-time job, <laughs> Yeah. and I don't know how all that worked out, but now I'm here making a podcast. Yeah, a podcast about those around us who are doing everything that they can with their time, money, or skills to make their community or their personal lives a better place. They aren't Bill Gates or Ellen DeGeneres, and they can't fly like Superman. Damn. I know. Too bad. I wish they could, be, they could fly. But we think that they have stories that should, that should be told to the world. And we've had a lot of fun creating this. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, let's get to Jonathan Foray. So, so this is the water, the Bayou Terrebonne Water Life Museum, and so this is a parish facility that they allow us to use the office spaces upstairs, and then also we program the space. So we'll bring groups of students in, and we'll do summer camps and things like that. But the organization that I work for is called the South Louisiana Wetlands Discovery Center. So the Wetlands Discovery Center is a completely different facility that's not built yet. But hopefully, it looks like fall of 2016, we'll be starting construction on that facility. Oh, wow. And it's like a campus of exactly. buildings. I've seen some pictures of it. it yeah, it's going to be beautiful. Big. It's going to be beautiful. It's like the, Our first phase is a live wetlands exhibit and an outdoor educational pavilion. And we're, we're doing that first because we won't have to air condition a whole building. And, and it'll sort of be like our satellite location. We will still have our offices here. But we'll do our programs out there. So I think it's going to be neat. And then as we raise the money, um, we'll be able to uh, build out the next phase. Well, I got you into uh, public service because I know a lot of people down here like, work in the oil field. Like my company, we build boats for the oil field. Yeah. Yeah. Like what got you into the public service side and not the profit side? I love what I do. Like I love my, I really do love my work. And I love working with people. 
I guess I've volunteered a lot. And it doesn't bother me to work hard and not make money off of it because I've done it so much. Like, it just kind of feels natural. Now, that doesn't make my mortgage easy to pay. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, I mean, I remember being maybe 15 or 16, and my mom was uh, an administrator in a school system, like elementary school. She was a principal. And so... um, I volunteered at the school board office during the summers and I don't think I had a choice. I don't know. Maybe I did, but my mom was just (laughs) like, okay, so this is what you're going to do and you're going to help out because these folks need some help. And I was like, okay, yeah. And I had fun. I really did have a good time. I I was in the Peace Corps as well. I mean, flash forward. The Peace Corps Peace at the age of 15. <laughs> no, I think yeah, 18, right? Wow, you were a Peace Corps. How was it? I actually, I applied to the Peace Corps before I got a job down here, yeah. and I'd said no to the offer to focus on my career. Yeah. I kind of wish I did the Peace Corps too. You can so. always, you can always do it whenever yeah. you want. I'm considering yeah. that. I get, I'm, I'm considering like just building up my resume a bit for engineering, and then yeah. after that, take like two years off. But it would be, and you should. You like really how, should. Where do you it. go for it? Um, like, what was your country? I went uh, the Kingdom of Tonga in the South Pacific. So it was right next to Fiji. Oh, yeah, it was intense. It was really, you really intense. Teach English? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so I guess I jumped too far. Yeah, I guess we should so, be so, a little bit. <laughs> no, I uh, just you got, me you got me so peace excited. Though. So I think that um, my parents, both of them, sort of instilled in me a sense of giving back to other people and our community. And so I finished my degree in English, and then I taught English for a little while here, and then went to New York City and taught English there for a bit. And then it was, I was walking the same stretch of sidewalk it was my second year teaching there, and I sort of had a little mental breakdown of, I don't want to, in 30 years, I don't want to still walk the same such a stretch of sidewalk, and this should just be it, and this is my life. I love teaching. I love my mm-hmm. students, for sure. But I needed, I needed to do something drastically different. And so I made my students do social studies projects on all of the countries where Peace Corps had programs within and then they voted to see where they were going to send me. So they just said, we think you'll have more fun in the South Pacific. And so that's where they sent me. And I continued to write back to them all during their next school year. Oh, wow. And so awesome. we kind of kept sort of a pen pal thing going on so they could understand what that experience felt like. But the Peace Corps was, um, that sort of grounded me. Like, I, I don't know if this makes sense, but I, it's sort of... Um, the only way that I can, I guess, say it is I wanted to, like, rip my skin off. I wanted to be raw. I wanted to know oh, that I, this is who I am at base level and then sort of build myself back up into I something. actually know that feeling because I've been struggling with that myself. Yeah. Like, I know yeah. exactly how yeah. that feels. I haven't actually had the experience, but like, yeah. I know the, the, yeah. I guess the precursor feeling. Yeah. Like, it's like, this is and, it. This is it. Yeah, and like, you have to go somewhere and get yourself outside of, your box yeah. or your comfort yeah. zone yeah. in order to find out who that's you it. really are. That's, that's totally what, it. That's what I and that's what I, No, and that's, and that's what I wanted to do and that's what I got. And so when you're in the Peace Corps, you go through like two months uh, language and culture training where they teach you to speak the language. It's very intense. I mean, like you're like, you in it to win it. Yeah, yeah. And so then you live with a family that's a homestay. And so 
you're constantly learning about language because you're hearing it and you're having to speak it and it's a it's a great way to really learn a language quickly but so yeah so the um the director there when it came time for placement decided to put me on an outer island because my language skills were strong and my fishing skills were strong. I mean, I grew up on working on a trawl boat. Yeah, you're not boy. Yeah, everybody right. knows the fish. That's true. Not me. So they put me. There had never been a Peace Corps volunteer on this island before. There were maybe 64. The population of the island was oh, 64. Wow. That's it. No electricity. No running water. Um, I mean, we're on an outer island. The boat ride. I want to say the boat ride was like 14 or 15 hours, and it was amazing um one of the most difficult things you probably get used to the outhouse and no electricity and no running water within two weeks honestly i thought it'd be a long honestly like within two weeks it was just sort of like this is how life is and and it felt good actually it kind of felt like like, a relief like you didn't like those what about well a phone no, no, there, no, phone, no. Obviously. That's, was, see, I'm a millennial, right. and I just, I just went. How do you live without your iPhone? iPhone? There was, there was um, a phone on the island that was like solar powered with a big tall tower that worked occasionally. Oh, oh. it didn't work all the time, wow. but there was like a means. For example, I would get a phone call, and then somebody would have to run to the school where I was teaching and say, hey, you have a phone call. Then I'd have to run to the phone, and by that time, like, the person was gone. Yeah. You know, I was like, there, I don't know. Yeah, there was only one phone line. Who yeah. answered it? Who had the... Whoever, whoever's whoever close to the phone. Whoever was, like, around? Was yeah. it in a building? It was or sort of, like, good? in just a little shack. Okay. Like a little, yeah. So it was... And that's sort of, like, how the island worked. It's sort of, like, the island was the house, and then all of the little... Places where we lived were like rooms of that house. Because, <laughs> like, people and sharing was not that took a little bit for me to get used to as well. Because you don't have to ask to use something that somebody else has, you really? just take it oh. and you go use huh. it, and eventually you bring it back. You know, so like my cast net would go missing all the time. And at the beginning, it was very upsetting to me because I'm like, I brought this all the way from Louisiana, like, I need to know where it's at and you know who's using it. But then eventually, like, it just didn't matter anymore. Huh. It really it didn't. Is. Yeah. So yeah. people just used it, and then eventually you find out where it was, and nobody really got worked up too much about it. Did anything. you go snooping around at other people? I didn't. I really didn't. <laughs> even though I could have. Even You're though like, I could hey, have. Man, I mean. I need this. I need this. You know. So the, the pigs are a big thing um, in Tonga. They roast pigs in the umu, like the earthen ovens. It's delicious. But they do a lot of rutting and they destroy vegetable gardens and stuff like that. So I was out cutting trees, little trees, to make a fence to keep them out of a community garden that we were uh, we planted. And we had bush knives, and I hit into the tree and it ricocheted out and went into my leg. Oh, the bush knife did. <laughs> so I have this gaping wound on my leg. There's oh no, there's no doctors. There are no nurses on my island. There's nothing like that. And like, and I, a first aid I had never had. I had, I had an extended uh, medical kit because they knew that I was very far away from anybody. Mm. So I had antibiotics, and okay. and they told you, okay, if this happens, you need to take this. If this, so, it was sort of like I had my own little pharmacy <laughs> ready to go. Um, so 
I was wearing a bandana. I took the bandana off and then tied up my leg and then hobbled back and took the bottle of peroxide and just bubbled it and I mean it was disgusting <laughs> and then put the meat back together and then put as and it was the butterfly it well no put I'm not meat, that hardcore or, I'm not that Your hardcore meat together, but you yeah yeah I had to put my, the, my this, meat together this yeah, yeah. The and the butterfly time. stitches weren't gonna cut it so yeah. like I had to push the meat back together and then tie it with the tape right oh it was disgusting so then I'm freaking out and I'm like what do I do like what's happening like how do I get I need a doctor or somebody something you know and so other people heard that I had cut myself real bad so other people in the village were coming and it was all I guess it's all just surreal because I'm like I need to get this stitched and they were like yeah um there might be a boat going tomorrow I don't think there's any boats going today. And it was very, it was always like that. It was like oh, casual too. Yeah, yeah. it was always like maybe maybe tomorrow there'll be a boat. Like, no biggie. And I'm We've like, can worse. I? <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Like, but they have. But and yeah, so they were true. like, you're gonna survive. Don't be a baby no. about it. You're <laughs> you such know. a so you you're lost such an American. Yeah, that's what I was. Tonguing up, buddy. Yeah. Well, and I thought like by you, Cajun. Cajun people are strong. Yeah, stronger than us suburbanites, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, suburbanites are weak, man. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily, the next day they were like, "Okay, there's a boat going." So I'm hobbling to the, you know, to the beach. And it, it was beautiful. I mean, like sandy beaches, all those tropical fish swimming that you can see in the so it's clear waters. So yeah. beautiful. It's yeah, crystal clear. Well, that's a good. Because, yeah, you yeah. Know, at least despite the injury, at least you get something right. to look at. So, Even though your <laughs> meat was all over. So the place. Uh, uh, this is what's so funny. I get into the boat, and so I'm sitting on like the side of the boat. And propped my leg up on the other side of the boat. So oh. this is not a big boat. Like no, that's a tiny that, boat. I'm like this. <laughs> it's like a canoe then. Yeah. It was with a little fifteen a little fifteen horsepower motor wow. in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> so as we're going, I'm thinking, this is hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> like in my head. I'm like how did pretty, I get here? You're pretty bad. Like this is right my now. life. Yeah. And like this is nuts. And like I'm looking, and it's just all beautiful. And then there's the humpback whales that are. Yeah, that's surreal. So like the boat is the size of this table, and the the whales are like three times bigger than the boat. That me, <laughs> like would, you know, going wow. to the next island an hour away because oh, there's a God. medical technician. She ain't a doctor. She's oh. not even a nurse. She's not. She just kind of runs the. So she's At like that the point, little I think thing. I would either feel like I was high. <laughs> it was crazy. Like an out of body. It was. That's exactly what I felt like. Or I would have passed out. It was. Oh, I would have passed out. That's for sure. <laughs> so we get there, and the medical technician is washing her clothes outside, like we all do in a big bucket, and you're washing your clothes by hand, and you have to. And so she sees me hobbling, and so she calls me into the little hospital. I guess is. You know, it's a medical building. And I sit down, and she props my leg up on the windowsill because there's no light. You know, there's no lights. So, like, yeah. she needed to see. Oh, yeah. So, like, the light from the window, she's looking at that. And so she takes a bottle of 
clear liquid, and I'm thinking it's rubbing alcohol. And she pours it <laughs> on, so like in a mint side, and there's yeah. nothing to catch it. Yeah, and it's just yeah. like, <laughs> clean it out. And I'm waiting for it to really sting so bad. Yeah. And it doesn't. That's like, it's cool. just like clean water. Oh. It's oh. just like water from the cistern or something. Oh. With probably dead rats in the bottom of <laughs> yeah. it. You know what I mean? Because there's some <laughs> nasty stuff at the bottom yeah. of the of ours that just fester there. So, yeah. So, then it was like, okay. And then she pulls out the suture, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm thinking, like... Do I get a belt to bite down on, or do I get a shot of whiskey? Yeah, I guess like, yeah, stick yeah, it. Like, can something? And no, and you know what? I guess like it had been the wound had been open for so long, it really didn't hurt. Like, yeah, it, you were I felt it. I felt probably. it, but it didn't. It wasn't painful. Your body and so, was probably in shock. shock. <laughs> so, so she like she stitches me up. It was the first time in my life I've had stitches, and it was the lady in Tonga. Wow. And you know what was a, the most refreshing part of that? They didn't ask me. She didn't ask me my name. She didn't ask me for my insurance. For your social she didn't security ask, number. She, there was no questions asked. She saw that I had a problem. She knew how to fix it. And she did, and then I went on my way. Oh, no, it was only that easy wow. here. There were no forms to fill out. There was nothing, you know, and it was it was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, how, why can't we do this, just help people and fix them? If you know how to fix people, then do it. Because we you love know? bureaucracy here. You know, and, and I get it. You know, people need to make money and stuff. Like, yeah. I, I get it. But so that happened, and then we were going to leave but the seas got a little bit rough mm-hmm. so we weren't able to go back so i was like okay well we'll just wait for the next day because the lovely boat well the reason why the seas got rough is because hurricane vianu was oh. on its way this and then the hurricane so then we got slammed with a hurricane and we had to stay on namuka which was the the bigger island and wait till the, the hurricane passed. Everything got shredded, like you can imagine. Roofs ripped off. And so then we had to wait till the seas would calm down before we could go back to our island. We finally got there, me limping, and our island was shredded too, you know? So then we began the process of. But so that's you're something you're I know. For you then. I, know, I know how to recover from a storm a hurricane yeah, you know you down here. Yeah, I, yeah. the I, earthquakes down. freak me out but yeah. the hurricanes are I know okay tornadoes with. I don't know anything else that's all I I tornadoes yeah. freak me out I know like tornadoes. tornadoes I have no I'm idea tornadoes. about hurricanes yeah. I'm, not into the, I'm not into tornadoes <laughs> I like basements yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have them here no right it would be swimming pools yeah, yeah. it would be um, so yeah so and then I remember after I, I, all of these things sort of happened at the same time. And I got onto the big boat to go back to Namuka. I mean, to uh, Nukalofa, the capital city. Because it was like, I just need to see, I need to talk to some people. I just, like, this has been really rough. And I just need to go relax over there, and then yeah. I can come back. And I remember, this is one of my epiphanies, mm-hmm. I guess, on that boat. My mind went to It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Oh. It was really weird. 
but like that was like my safe place (laughs) (laughs) so like i'm in this situation where i'm just like i have i had to zone someplace else my mind protected itself yeah by playing it's a great pumpkin charlie brown for 15 hours while i was on that boat and i just saw each of the different scenes and I, I was enjoying well, it was, in my head. Yeah, that would make a really weird experience. Was, so, like, your brain's like trying to comfort you by just thinking yeah. outside, like yeah. where you're from. Because that was sort of like the place, my safe place. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody's, so yeah, everybody has a safe place yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. So, you were talking about coming home, mm-hmm. and I was talking about going to see a therapist. The Peace Corps actually gives you vouchers to get a physical when you come home and you have to get tested for like parasites yeah which makes sense to make sure that's it i was so thin in the peace corps because sometimes i would get food poisoning and that's just and that's common common. it really is that's gonna happen and you just like get used to it after a while you're just like okay well it's this this is happening again let me just (laughs) make sure i'm hydrated grab my bucket and then there's uh i think it's called cipro which was the stuff that you, you, the pill that you take that just zaps your insides Ooh. and kills, <laughs> like kills anything so that is you're... bad. Ooh. So we, I did yeah. that. So I came back, and again they give you a voucher to go see a therapist if you need to when you get back. So this wow. is like I didn't have an isolated incident. Like this is what happens because yeah, that's pretty common. You're you're living on a little bitty island, you know, and you're in it with a different. Like, it's a different set of rules. Like, the culture is completely different. That was the most difficult thing to deal with, was how different the culture was. Then, after two years, you're just about figuring it out. And then you have to come back into the culture that you that yeah. is yours. Oh, that so you get like, this kind of weird like, but, dissonance. But I turned into, like, a an island man. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. very distant. So I come home, my parents picked me up from the airport, and it was wonderful to see them. And um, I, my mom was like, okay, do you, we're going to stop at the store so you can get some deodorant, a toothbrush, mm-hmm. like all my little toiletries. Yes, like, yeah, because I didn't have anything. And because I left all that, I gave whatever I had to the people on the island and came back with nothing. And... So we go to Walmart, which was probably the worst. That's oh. a terrible place to go after it's, that. It's already it was, scary to begin it's, with. It's <laughs> just like, oh my gosh, Walmart. It was, it was. And so we go in and my mom's like, okay, well, you know, get a little basket and you go get what you need and then meet me, you know, by the registers. And I'm like, okay. And so the first thing immediately, like I just look up and try, you should try this next time you're in any of those huge box stores. And the fluorescent lighting is so impressive. Next time you have the opportunity, look up into any of those box stores, and it's very impressive. So I was just focused on the ceiling as I was walking through it, and it's huge. And, and so then I turned and I look, and I'm at the cereal aisle. And I hadn't eaten cereal in two years, you know? And in the capital city at the time, there were like the equivalent of like Rice Krispies and cornflakes. That's what was available in the capital. That was it. Yeah. Wow. wow. So, I then I, t- I turned down the aisle and it's a wall of cereal. Like it's taller than me and it seems like it goes on for a mile. 
and I'm walking down and I'm just like, get this, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm angry. Yeah. I'm just sort of like, this is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what are we doing? Like, we've got it all wrong. And so then I just like, I put down my little basket and I walked out and I went, <laughs> I went sit outside on the little bench and then my mom couldn't find me. I didn't have a cell phone. Yeah. So finally, she, you know, like she, she found me and she's like, what's wrong? And I'm just like, I just need to leave. I need you to take me away from here. And so we went home and I'll be honest with you. And my friends, my very close friends, it was a difficult time for them too because they didn't know how to interact with me and they didn't know because I, I was, I didn't know different. what I was, I was different. Yeah. And, and they were the same. And I had gone through this process that I ripped my skin off, which mm-hmm. was exactly what I wanted to do to get bait down to the base level. And then that was hard. That lasted maybe for six months. A while. You know? And you probably had like PD. PTSD, yeah, right? something. Is that, syndrome. is that what inspired you to come back here and like start being more community focused, like trying with the wetlands? Forest? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it definitely um, it grounded me. It made me. Um, it certainly influenced. Oh, I got a gig with the uh, United Nations. Oh, so, wait, yeah. really? Wow. So are you, are you still working for them by any no, chance? No, no, no. no. I was like, that's no. so cool. You're a no. human agent? You yeah. started with <laughs> that. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I did uh, the Bangladesh gig, and so that, because the funding was uh, pulled for that, the United Nations also had a program in the uh, Asia-Pacific region working with people with disabilities, monitoring, evaluation kind of thing. So I did that for a while, and then all of my colleagues were asking me what my master's was in, and I just had a bachelor's in English. Yeah. <laughs> I just oh had an gosh. English degree. That really? Is, and that is so yeah, great, though, yeah. because I feel like a lot of millennials think you have to have so much education, and then you have to be willing to debt. put in. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. But yeah. you have to. Yeah. 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 That's. That's very helpful. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I did, if I wanted to continue working with the UN and try to compete for higher level jobs and whatnot, I needed to get my master's. And so I decided to come back to the States and get my master's in public administration. Okay. I, so then you I, did you know. get your master's. I did. I did. So but, now but, I look like a hippie. No, no. But I did it after I had done the work. But, okay, yeah. But it's just sort of like I wanted to be able to compete for those jobs. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah, you do. That you, I you needed should... to have that because they you did. Do need you know, your masters. <laughs> masters is like kids. the new bachelor's. You need your new um, masters. I'm just jealous. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So. I uh, did that and was a grant writer for the Louisiana State Museum while I was going to UNO. And after I graduated with the intention of going back to work overseas, a woman on the board of directors for the organization that I work for now approached me and said, why are you going to try to fix other people's problems when we have so many problems that we need help with here? (laughs) And nobody really told me that before. Yeah. And so I said, okay, well, I'll think about this and let's give it a shot. And so I guess that was, what, five years ago now I've been with the Discovery Center. And I love it. And I love being able to spend time with my family and friends here. Mm-hmm. I love my board of directors. Like the board oh, you don't that hear I, that ever. The board that I work with, they're amazing. Like amazing group of people. We're like a family. We really mm-hmm. are like a family. So 
I'm excited about the work that I'm doing now, and we're making progress, you know. So um, what's being done? I know awareness is one thing. Like, are you doing like coordinating with other like civil engineering firms just like that to like, build better levies, or we don't like we're not at that level. I okay. guess we're Still more middle school. Phases. Well, we're we're more middle school and um, high school education. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. We do, um, and not just them. Like we have a program called Vanishing Points. Yeah, we were looking at that last night. It was a, it was a very, I guess, emotional. Yeah, feel like it, like we were really affected by it. Yeah, yeah. And so we work with some of our kids to identify points of cultural interest down to a snowball stand that's important to the community, mm-hmm. um, and then we're able to, you know, give information about that particular point. Mm-hmm. Some points that are no longer, you know no longer there even so it's more about raising awareness it's more about educating the students on how they're going to have to think to stay living here or if they want to make the decision to move what does that look like and and at what cost and Mm -hmm. you know two fun stories that I've learned um, while doing this work I have a Nutra story, and then I have a hurricane recovery story. Let's go to the hurricane recovery story first. I never realized how the oil industry helps us to recover from a storm. All of the guys that work offshore have to go through all this safety training mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. and over again. Yeah. All of these guys are, I mean, not all of them, but they're welders. They know how to build and construct and um fit thing you know fit things so when it comes time for a storm i think that we're very prepared as a community to recover from it because our people are trained to work offshore but then that same skill set translates into recovery of when things get broken and things need to be repaired our people really do have a skill set to to be able to bounce back from that Second, and I never, I never thought of that before. You know what I mean? The other thing, Nutria. I love Nutria. Can you um, explain what yeah, a Nutria looks like? A Nutria looks like a big rat. It's like a big swamp rat. It kind of looks like a beaver, but it has a rat tail, and it has um, <laughs> it big like, orange teeth. Like on, uh, was it, on the Princess Bride? Yeah, it's, kind of, it's not quite, <laughs> it's not quite as <laughs> large, <laughs> but it kind of is. Yeah, it's a little Do the I think they do. Probably are. I think they do. Um, So the nutria are invasive, Mm -hmm. and they're really horrible for the wetlands because they eat all the plants and the roots, and then the dirt just sort of washes out. They have those big teeth. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I never thought about, well, so nutria were brought here for their furs, and so they kept on farms because they're really Uh, from South America. Yeah. So they were kept on farms. Then either they were turned loose or a hurricane come and broke open the cage and they got out. So then they start going crazy in the swamps and they just multiply like rabbits. And that's not they multiply like ecosystem, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's horrible. Um, but the trappers were trapping them for their pelts because they were getting like $12, $13 a pelt in like the 40s, 50s. So probably around about $25, $30. Yeah, now. yeah. So that's... it was good. It was good, you know, for them. So then as time progresses, the animal rights movement gains a lot of momentum. And this was maybe in the 80s, I believe, 70s, 80s, 
when during the fashion shows in New York, people were throwing red uh, paint yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and ketchup all over the, the fur coats and saying, you know, that it was inhumane, um, whatnot. And they were very successful at what they were doing. They ran a very successful campaign to the point where people stopped wearing fur, mm -hmm. which made the price of the Nutria pelt drop to like $2. Oh. So it was no longer cost effective for people to trap Nutria. So they decided not to anymore. Oh. And the Nutria population so exploded all. down here. There and there was so many Nutria yeah. that, I mean, it became a huge, huge problem. And then the wildlife and fisheries came in within the last decade, I guess, to do this um, bounty program. Mm -hmm. So now you go out, you shoot the Nutria, you cut off its tail, and you bring the tail in, and you get five dollars for the tail. Wow! Because they're invasive, and they want to get rid of all of the nutria. But now, instead of the fur being used for clothing or anything, it just rots in the marsh. I'm sure yeah. other animals and vultures come and eat it, but never would I have put the pieces together to think that the animal rights activists are partially responsible for coastal land loss in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You would never. I would have never thought That's about that. And look, I, I love animals. Like yeah. I'm all yeah. about. I'm all about it. I I share that story with my kids, my students, because I I want them thinking like, wow, we may not, we may think that our our cause is noble, but we really need to make sure that we look at the big picture of how what we're gonna do is gonna affect everything. You know, which is a great perspective to have to realize yeah. how everything can influence it. Yeah, I had a pet Nutria. Um, he actually, unfortunately, died this year. Oh. And he was a sweetheart. Um, his name was Tinu. Oh. Yeah, he was cute. Um, how long do they live usually? In captivity, a good like 13, 12, 13 oh, years, boy. supposedly. Oh, yeah. But he was just two. Oh. But I think, yeah, I think he he got like a. He ate something bad. Yeah. And um, they their mouths are really weird. Yeah. Because, like, water doesn't get into their throats. They're, like, it's kind of closed. They get all of their uh, fluid through the plants and stuff that mm -hmm. they eat, right? Mm -hmm. And so he stopped eating for a while, but I think he dehydrated because uh. I think his stomach was a little upset. And so he didn't feel like eating. But if I would have brought him to a vet and they put him on an IV, he probably would have been okay. Yeah. But and then people probably bring exotic animals all the time to uh, vets around here. I feel yeah, like people yeah. have more exotic animals. Oh, more exotic than like a dog or a cat. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and no, I had to get a license to carry him. Okay. Well, not carry, license, concealed. <laughs> concealed nutrient permit. Watch out, those teeth will get you. <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, because uh, because I used him for educational purposes. Okay. Because you know, yeah. like, you're not supposed to have. They're invasive. Keep on you know? Yeah. <laughs> Most importantly, what is your favorite Halloween candy? <laughs> My favorite Halloween candy. I want to get to the hard hitting question. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I really think it might be Swedish Fish. Whoa. That, I threw that in. I've yeah, never actually had those that, before. I really that was do, a curveball. I really <laughs> do love Swedish fish. Those are so good. Yeah, they're good. I haven't had Swedish fish in 
so long. You've it's never like had gum, them? It's like gummy fish, but it's sort of like, it's... I've had like try bright crawlers. Are they like that? Like gummy worms, but like a fish? Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. They're yeah. so good. I don't see them anymore, though. You have to Are they really invasive? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> They're endangered. Yeah. Endangered. Endangered. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so okay. What's your favorite? Uh, Snickers. Oh, yeah. 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 Favorite candy Snickers, but I only get Milk Duds during Halloween, so that's my favorite Halloween candy, yeah. Milk Duds. Do you have any like, advice, since you're very community driven, like, do you have like, any like, daily advice that like, somebody could do like, for five minutes each day to like, make their community a better place by any chance? Don't worry about your dishes. <laughs> Go and do stuff. I like that. In your community. I like like the dishes, you can wash them later. Good, but because I'm like, washing in a week. Good, because <laughs> you don't want to see my dishes. <laughs> very no, you know, <laughs> but it's just about getting involved. And it's it may be a little bit scary in the beginning because but there's there are so many nonprofit organizations mm -hmm. looking for good board members mm -hmm. that that's an easy way is just to approach some of those organizations and say hey I'm interested in learning more about you, the work that you guys do I, and mm -hmm. oh, I recently just had that too with um have you heard of Second Harvest Food Bank yeah of course. yeah I worked with them uh, during the springtime that's awesome yeah and Saturday yeah. we teach uh, it was like a, it was a small group, like three people. Yeah. But just teaching uh, lower-income families how yeah. to eat healthy. Yeah. It was really inspiring. Yeah. And it's not it's not rocket science. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, as long as you have like a hammer in time, you could help people that's out. That's it. That's it. Um, and they're also like, I get so disappointed because there are several um, like government-appointed positions, mm -hmm. like to the tree board or to the rec districts mm -hmm. or to the fire um, districts that like these vacancies just stay open because no one puts in an application to serve. <laughs> yeah. But I don't but I also think that they don't know that they can do that all the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I had no but, idea you just like yeah, walk in and apply. I I got an email saying for those who want to volunteer. That's yeah. what I got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's and that may be it too. Like I think that people involved with those organizations need to do a better job of showing people how how to do it you know mm -hmm. or who who to get involved with or providing volunteer opportunities like the one you did yeah. you know and it's just, the little steps too you know and you don't even have to know how right unless you just gotta try yeah learn more about Jonathan Foray and the South Louisiana Wetlands Discovery Center, check out their website at slwdc.org, or you can always like them on Facebook. Everyday Superhumans is produced by Kyle and Caroline and is recorded on location. Music is composed by Alex Allen. Here's a question for you. What's your superpower? Tweet to us at SuperhumansCast, leave us a story on facebook.com slash everydaysuperhumans, and you can always send us a picture of your ability on Instagram. For questions, comments, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at everydaysuperhumans at gmail.com. And remember, not every hero can fly, so grab your cape and let's go. Welcome to Everyday Superhumans, the podcast where we interview ordinary people who have done extraordinary things in their lives. 
I'm Kyle. And I'm Caroline. And I'm beyond excited for our first episode with a beautiful Nan. Man. <laughs> I said Nan. Damn it. 